There's an old episode of The Simpsons that came out in 1995, season six, if you're scoring at home. The plot of the episode finds Lisa meeting a fortune teller who gives her a look into her future. That future is in 2010, which love The Simpsons' guesses at what was going to be going on in 2010. They got some things right, some things maybe not so much, but still a delightful episode. One of the recurring bits is that robots will see what's going on, but they look like they're just regular humans. And then they'll be like, I don't understand that. And someone else will say, of course not, you're a robot. And then the robot sheds a little tear and then self-destructs. And it's so wonderful every time it happens. They catch on fire. It's just absolutely delightful and a great throwaway gag, but also a pretty good lesson of the power of storytelling that even these robots with their cold mechanical hearts can still see something good unfolding ahead of them. Of course, their reaction is to essentially die just from how good the story is in front of them. But the power of storytelling is something that we can use as our human selves for good and not for robot destruction. My guest today is Stefan Georgi, a direct response copywriter whose words have grossed over a billion dollars. So I think it's safe to say he knows what he's doing and gets great results for all of the clients and customers that he works with. He's the inventor of the RMBC method. So we're going to get into what all of that is. But a quick overview, it's a systematic approach to writing better sales copy, doing it more consistently and doing it in less time. All three of those sound like terrific things to me. So we're diving into that. We're also learning about his Copy Accelerator course. You can get your own copywriting skills. Take it to new heights because guess what? No matter what industry you're in, no matter what kind of business you want to start, you have started, thinking about starting, all of that good stuff, you're going to need good copy to help sell it. You're going to need to know how to write. And that's probably true in just about every profession. And don't worry, we're not leaving those robots in the dust. We're also talking about how AI can help us with that storytelling, how it can make us more effective at our writing, at our processes, and lots of other good stuff. There's all kinds of magic in here, so I hope you don't shed a tear lest your head explode and you catch on fire. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Stefan Georgi. To kick things off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Yeah. Hey, my name is Stefan Georgi. I am a direct response copywriter who sold over a billion dollars worth of products with my words. And I'm also a serial entrepreneur who has started or invested in 10 plus companies that have gone to seven figures or above. Okay, we're going to jump back. Do you remember the very first thing that you ever wrote? I remember stuff from early on. I don't know about the very first one, but I was a big, I enjoyed writing. Even as a little kid, I, I was like trying to write like novels, which were these like double spaced, you know, sort of uh, kind of size 25 prompt. Because I figured if I, the, the size font was bigger, that it would look like more impressive, it would be more pages, you know? So I was trying to, trying to write these like books, you know? Um, so yeah, from an early age, I wrote a lot. Like I wrote a little novel called like Valley of the Moss when I was like, like pretty young. And um, I'm not gonna lie, I found it. I have it somewhere. And there's actually a couple of lines that are like legit good. And there's a bunch of stuff that's just horrible. But there's like a couple of lines where I'm like, damn, like that was, you know, because I must have been like seven or something. You know, I'm like, not bad. 
So, yeah. <laughs> it's always amazing what kind of nuggets we can pull out from things that we wrote all those years ago. And it's so wonderful to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If someone visits your website, one of the things they'll see kind of throughout it is emotional response marketing. And you say that you're a direct response copywriter, but there's also the emotional response side of things. So why is that such an effective method for getting people to listen? Yeah. So, you know, the idea of emotional response is that like my background is as a direct response copywriter. So basically writing ads where we want our prospective customer, we want them to respond, right? Directly respond, take an action, right? Whether that is pick up the phone and call or click or, you know, buy now, go into a showroom, whatever it is, but like, you know, take a direct action. So the idea of emotional response is that instead of getting them to take this external action, we want them to feel an internal reaction. So we want them to feel emotions through our content, our copy, whatever it is. And it's really valuable for a lot of reasons. One being authenticity in general, people really, there's the whole, uh, no like trust or however you want to say it, but basically people buy from brands and uh, people and, and, you know, that they actually trust, that they like, that they feel connected to. And one of the biggest ways you do that is through building rapport, which happens through emotional connection. And so really the idea is that if we can be more authentic, vulnerable, things like that in our marketing, uh, generally we will build a deeper relationship with both our existing customers and prospective customers. And ultimately we will make more money, uh, but we're doing it in a very authentic way. Is there a particular formula or a template or anything like that that works better for telling stories? Because I'm on a lot of different newsletters. I'll visit websites. And in many cases, people are telling stories in this copy. But for whatever reason, some of them just resonate a lot better. And sometimes I can point to it. It's like, oh, I I really like you know, I relate to that story or I just like the way that they wrote that types of things. Other times, I can't quite put my finger on it. So is there some sort of key that people should utilize while they're telling stories? Obviously, it sounds kind of like simple, but a uh, a strong kind of opening line that pulls the reader or listener in right away is really um, helpful. So you know, an example, let's say for emotional response marketing and, and I think about like a real estate agent and maybe you're on their newsletter and you get these emails once a month and it's sort of just like, you know, rates are up, but it's still a great time to buy. And, you know, like, oh, the inventory, you know, prices are down, but, but, you know, it's still a great time to list. And, and they sort of, it's, it's kind of always BS and you're just like, it's such a positive spin all the time for the vast majority of them. And, you know, you don't really get much value. And then I imagine getting like an email from a realtor with something that starts like, you know, I was in the bathroom for over 10 minutes and my two clients were starting to freak out. And so if you got a line like that, you're like pulled in immediately, right? You're like, what? And so then the story could go on about how she heard running water and most realtors would have just kind of ignored it, but she was trying to figure out where it was coming from. You know, she realized that there was actually this huge water issue. She saved her clients all this time and money because they didn't put an earnest money deposit down. Um, you know, and so that's why you should work with her and not another realtor. But just like 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 an email from like a realtor like that would be way more interesting. It's a story, it's authentic, but also that opening line sucks you in. So that's a really important one. I think another, you know, a lot of times these stories fall kind of that hero's journey where there's sort of the call to action. Uh, somebody is starting off in one state, they're sort of comfortable, they're 
uh, the reality is sort of one way and then something happens or some sort of, again, this is called like a call to action, not to be confused with a marketing call to action, which we can talk about in a minute, but you know, they're called to, to, to go on a journey, to go on an adventure. And as they go on that journey or adventure, they are, they face different obstacles, uh, challenges and become progressively more difficult. They meet mentors and guides along the way. There's literally a character in, uh, you know, the, um, the Odyssey by Homer called mentor. Right. And, um, so, you know, the, these people who guide them, they face this ultimate test or challenge that they overcome. And then there's even the journey of coming back home as a changed person. And, you know, they eventually get back to like a new state, but now they're a different person. They're no longer the person who set out on the journey. They're this changed person and they've, they've become wiser and learned some valuable lesson and things of that nature. And so if you look at it, it seems very, you know, epic and grand, which it can be, right? This is a narrative and structure in many of the great epics. But even in a marketing story, it's, it's similar. It's something where maybe, you know, you were struggling with asthma and you kept buying these crappy air purifiers and you didn't, you know, really think much of it. But then you you had a child and your child had asthma and you're like, I don't want my child to deal with the same thing I did. So you started going on this journey and you learned how air purifiers are actually made. And you realize that most of them are produced in overseas and use cheap parts or components. And, you know, you met like a, you found like a new technology, but at first you couldn't get it because it was too expensive and you had to negotiate and all these things. And eventually through trial and error, you know, introducing new super air purifier, whatever it is. Uh, and so, you know, that's like a story that a brand tells and you don't, when you actually look at it and, and kind of break it down to its essential components, it's, it's essentially, I hate saying essential so much, but uh, <laughs> it's basically following the, the hero's journey, right? So that's another kind of commonality of, of great stories. Man, the Odyssey taking me back to high school English class. I was not that much of a fan of it. And our teacher didn't really do a great job of uh, getting us engaged <laughs> with it. It's all right. I, I, re, I, reread, uh, I reread it lately, the book itself. But it's like, it's, uh, that's also it. One of my friends and I were fans of when they talk about Dawn with her rose red fingers peeking over the silent. And it would always be like eight sentences to describe essentially a sunrise. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. And we would always say it around each other and get weird looks. It was great. <laughs> I do have to ask about chat GPT because it's the hottest item. Everyone's trying to get on it. Everyone wants to use it. Have you used it? What do you think of it? And is it going to take over all of our jobs as marketers? Uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah, to taking over the jobs. Like, so, yeah, I, I went really deep into it a few months ago. Well, not chat GPT that came out in November, but um, I did a thing in, in Manhattan with like a bunch of sort of high level like leaders and, and like Web3 and, and all these other things. And it was sort of this, it was cool. I did it with this group, uh, company called Agora. And the idea was they paid for everything. And it was like, let's get a bunch of smart people in a room and uh, kind of look at what is like the future look like. Let's examine that. And so, and they had me sort of run it, which was really cool. And and um, and so I got to kind of pick the agenda and it was like basically the next five years. And it was, it was kind of like, what's, you know, where are we at now? Like, what are the things that are keeping us up at night? What are the biggest challenges and opportunities going to be, uh, you know, between the next one year, three years, five years? And then what can we do as leaders to help others in our industries to prepare. So we had these people like uh, Reese Jones, who's uh, he's an advisor to Facebook, co-founder of Singularity, Singularity University of Ray Kurzweil, like just really smart guy, uh, but a couple of people like like billionaires. And, and they're all like AI. And I'm like, well, you know, if they're all saying that, like I, I was kind of, I was aware of, you know, Jasper and these AI things. And 
Uh, but I was not paying that much attention. But it, as we started talking about it, and I started hearing where we were at from these really smart people and how that was kind of like the number one thing they said. Uh, I was like, I better dive in and, and really understand it. And it ended up being very fortuitous because, you know, like a month later, uh, chat GPT comes out and kind of blows everybody's mind and everything. And, and I was a bit just enough ahead of the curve. And I, and then I've really honestly, like that's primarily what I'm doing now with like my mastermind community. And even when I write for clients and everything is like using AI tools to make the process more efficient. So to the question of like, you know, are we in trouble as marketers? I think, I think the, the bottom, and I don't, I don't mean this in like a judgy way, but like the, the 80% that kind of weren't that good are in a lot of trouble. But I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for those in the top 20% to take these tools and sort of leverage them and become more quote unquote full stack, um, you know, more uh, build out ecosystems and really actually be big force multipliers for clients. So I think if you take these tools, you become like a conductor and you, you know, use them, assemble the parts of AI and, and, and bring them together in very interesting ways that there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that will continue to be so for an extended period of time. So it's really going to be the, the 80% of people who weren't very good. Uh, they're in trouble, but the top 20% are going to have probably boom times for the next couple of years and, and then at that point we may all lose our jobs but we'll figure that out as it comes <laughs> but those years will yeah, be the golden yeah. ones a couple of good years before yeah. <laughs> was there anything else from that meeting of all the smart folks that kind of made you take a step back and say huh i didn't know that but that's very interesting we spent a lot of time talking about mental health which i thought was kind of nice in a way um really looking about how between you know covid and, and lockdowns and and just technologies advanced in general, like it's advancement, how much alienation there is. And so uh, one of the people I had invited, her name is Lola Draker. She's really cool. I've um, known her for years and, and she does a lot of work in this area. And so she kind of like led a segment on mental health. And, you know, I don't know if there was a specific insight as much as it was just like kind of nice and refreshing when you think about, oh, all these rich and powerful people together. What are they like, you know, sort of talking about? And it's like, they're talking about like, you know, how do we help people like to like, how do we support those with mental health challenges in our own organizations, like friends and family in our communities? And, you know, what are sort of innovative ways that, that we can potentially help? And so I thought that was refreshing, I, I suppose I would say. Yeah, that does sound very nice, especially as I feel like many companies, many people still kind of neglecting that, maybe don't even know how to really approach it. So I'm glad to see that some of the smartest minds out there are doing are doing a solid job with that. Now you touched on your mastermind, your Copy Accelerator mastermind, but what can people expect from it? Yeah, so I've got two tiers. Uh, we have Copy Accelerator Pro, which is for business owners who are doing seven, eight, and you know nine figures in revenue typically, and who sell online, mostly you know direct to consumer type of companies. Uh, we have some agency owners and things like that as well. So there, myself and my two partners, Mario and Luke, are um, serving as like your kind of second CMO and your second copy chief. So you can put your sales copy, ads, scripts, funnels, all those sorts of things into um, our group, and we'll actually review them and give you feedback. And we can also give you ideas for how to you know make them better, optimize it, 
all that kind of stuff, as well as even your funnel economics, right? Like I'm trying to get my average order value up or my conversion rate up or whatever it is. Uh, we also have some events and we're doing a lot of AI stuff around everything from prompts to processes using different AI tools to make marketing more efficient. And then I have something called Genesis, which is a mentorship program for copywriters who are, you know, beginner to intermediate, getting into a little bit of advanced, um, typically people who want to get to about $15,000 a month in uh, income while maintaining time freedom. And so that is a, a mentorship program where we have an immersive, immersive, immersive curriculum that kind of helps you become a world-class copywriter. And again, leveraging AI tools. Like I'm, I just did today the first of a multi-day training called the six-hour AI sales letter about how to use AI to write a long-form sort of infomercial script in uh, six hours. And if you're in Genesis or Pro, it was like free, and then it was nine ninety-seven to the public. So stuff like that that we're doing too. Do you find that there's a consistent challenge or obstacle that people in either mastermind are facing? Yeah, for like the freelancers, where and I, I definitely have a soft spot for freelancers because I, you know, have been one and still kind of. In a way, I am, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I do freelance projects occasionally. Or, or now it's more through an agency type of model. But, um, you know, it's it's so often for them, like, a lack of confidence and just mindset stuff. And so you always hear about mindset. And then people, if you haven't really been in the trenches, you you can dismiss mindset a little bit. I, I used to think mindset was totally BS, right? And then I started a supplement company back in 2015 and, and basically went from 1 million to 23 million in revenue in, in a year. The first year sucked, right? The first year we did a million and lost 200,000 and I almost went bankrupt and all this stuff. And then thank God the last, you know, the 11th hour kind of figured it out and, and became like a millionaire from it. So awesome. But then as I was like at a, like a event, like a small kind of like a brunch thing, like a few, um, maybe a year after that, and someone was talking about how they're writing a book on my set. And I kind of went to dismiss them. But I started thinking about how, like I'm like man, I know so many, so many smart people who just constantly self sabotage, or they kind of like, I'm like what when you really look at that common denominator. So many times it's not skill set, uh, it's not really like even the opportunities. It's really mindset, and and it is self sabotage. It's what you you know do you do you find a way to to seize those opportunities? Do you mess it up? How do you you know look at the world? Um, and really your relationship with yourself and your trust in yourself, even right confidence, all these sorts of things, and so. They're very fundamental, but you see it time and time again with people, especially when they're earlier on in their journey. It never goes away, but but especially earlier on. So for freelancers, I think it's really mindset type of stuff. Uh, even you know, there's people who are like, we have different archetypes kind of like, um, so there's like the the rookie who's like brand new, right? And excited by the world of copywriting, but scared as well. Uh, then there's like the student. And there's a lot of people in our program, which makes sense in a way, who are the student where they've been buying every course, every program for years and they've like learned all this stuff. And then you're like, what do you rate your confidence from a scale from one to five? And it's like a one or a two, right? And they've never gotten any clients. And you're like, but they just they keep buying products. And, and, you know, it seems like kind of weird because I'm selling products, but we're like, stop buying products, like go out and get clients, like start actually, you know, doing this. And so, um, but a lot of it is they need someone to really kind of, I don't know, hold their feet to the fire and make them get out of student mode and actually go into like hunter mode or, or what have you. So you know, that's on that side. And then for business owners, you know, generally it's just traffic and economics. So, you know, traffic being like, well, they can, they're just hand in hand, like, you know, profitably acquiring customers uh, is, is just really 
generally the thing. And then there's a lot that it could be because their copy's not good or their funnel's not optimized or their, you know, cart value is not high enough for a lot of reasons. Uh, but you know, it's typically that. And then of course, once they scale, how do they hire good people and like actually remove themselves from their business, which is, you know, constantly a challenge for people as they're scaling small businesses. Yes, this podcast has interviewed many business owners and almost all of them have said in some form or fashion that the act of delegating or to give up control of something is one of the hardest parts about owning a business. And I fully understand that. There's some things where I'm like, oh, I know how to do this so well. Why would I delegate and and give it off to someone else? I can do it so efficiently. But Oh, escaping that mindset is tough. It's hard. I think very few people like um, I'm trying to be better about this with my own businesses, but very few people start these businesses with like that plan in place. Right? It's sort of like all happens. It falls in. They're the kind of like the technician. They're working on the business. They're wearing all these hats, and so then like halfway through the journey, they have to try to figure out a way to like get SEAL Team Six to come like extract them right from it. Uh, and and it can be done, but it's hard. And then to your point, yeah, then you they hire. Speaking in generalities, but like you, know, you go hire somebody and they're not as good as you are, and you like don't have the time to train them because you're doing ten other things. So then, like you're annoyed that their work's not as good as it should be, and then you feel guilty that you're not giving them the guidance they need for their work to be better. So you don't fire them, but their work keeps being crappy. So you keep redoing their work, and it's just like stuff like that, right? And so it's very um. There's a lot of, of interesting stuff there, but yeah, it's a very common challenge I think for people. Oh, absolutely, and. Going back to the confidence thing, that's such a big obstacle as well, especially when negotiating rates. I mean, I know there's been times when I've given my price and then I'm like, but you know, if if, if you can't do that much, this would also be okay. And it can lead to a lot of frustration, but it is just such a, a common thing that we need to overcome. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, I think when you're, especially earlier on, because like the opportunities are so, you know, you're trying to pay rent and stuff like that. So it's really hard to so, you know, I mean, I found that as I've gotten more successful where, you know, if I'm like flush of cash and I'm very like, not like a jerk, but I'm very not like kind of take it or leave it, that people take it all the time. But if I'm like, you know, ca- my cash flow is tighter, like I feel like they can just, they smell it. Right. And then like, it, it's sort of like, it's very interesting though. Cause like the best is to really be, you know, you know, detached from everything, but it's easier said than done sometimes depending on what you've got going on in your life. And I think it's always easier to give someone else advice <laughs> than taking it yourself not always the simplest thing to follow i also want to make sure that we touch on your rmbc method what is it how did you come up with it how can people use it yeah so rmbc stands for research mechanism brief and copy so it's really like this four step process for writing really good sales copy consistently um and yeah, really, that's it, actually. <laughs> Write good copy consistently, right? And in and, and less time. And now with AI, honestly, like, even less time, right? Like, with AI, that's where it's crazy. What was, what's actually really cool, I'm not going to dance around this, but, you know, the training I'm doing now on this, this six-hour AI sales letter thing, which isn't, like, I don't have it. I'm going to, I'm recording it, and I'll sell it as a course later. So maybe by the time people listen to this, it'll be on my website or something. But um, but what's neat is, like, RMBC is actually perfect for that. Because I'm like, oh, wow, I can just take... Now I can use AI prompts to like fill out the different parts of RMBC. And, and so, but it's, it's still a found, fantastic foundational thing. Um, so really like R is like research and, and we're talking about psychographic type of research, right? Because a lot of it's like not just 45 plus, uh, you know, men who want to lose 30 pounds or more of weight. 
um, and get rid of their dad bod, right? Like, like, all right, cool. But it's like, what are their hopes and dreams? What are their victories and failures? You know, um, what have they tried? What products have they tried? What was their experience like? Uh, what do they like about those products? What do they not like? And then really just doing it in like an emotion, you know, like the emotional side of it, like, like, like getting in their words. So the way I've always done it historically is like going to forums and like Reddit, things like that. Because if you go, there's like a forum for everything. So there's like weight loss forums. There's forums for people who want to invest in real estate, really like anything you can imagine. There's like a forum for it. And as people will have, they, they share so much in, in online kind of like when they're, whether anonymous or, or kind of anonymous in these forums, you know, be like, like the reason I figured, first figured this out is we have like two cats and like one of the cats was doing something weird. I forget what it was. And I like, you know, Googled it and there's a forum and like these cat ladies on this forum were like, like thousand word like responses of like, you know, my fluffy is, you know, two years old and a real rascal. Sometimes they, they, like, you know, for like 800 words about like, you know, their life and their cats. And at the very end, they'd be like, oh yeah, get some eye drops. Your cat will be fine. Right. And you're like, I'm like, oh my God, they're just, so first that was funny, but then I realized that, you know, it's the same thing for all of these sorts of things. People love to overshare. Even Amazon reviews, if you go to the one and five star reviews, a lot of the time it's not just like product product worked great. I'm happy with it. It's kind of like, here's why I bought it. Here's what was going on. I was at this breaking point. And so you can just take all that, you know, put it into like a document where you're kind of tracking the stuff. And like you've got a ton of language, then you can just copy and paste that into your ads. Like if somebody says some great line of like for joint pain, like it um you know, having joint pain feels like uh, living with an invisible illness because, you know, I'm always hurting, but on the outside, nobody knows that anything is even wrong. And if somebody says that, you're like, whoa, and you, you know, go to like an ad, like tired of, of struggling with the invisible illness, right? Like, you know, if you have joint pain, blah, blah, blah. And so you can really just like get a lot of your copy done. So, and now with AI, by the way, there's sort of these prompts you can do that make it even faster. So you can do something like, you know, write, uh, and, and chat GPT or a place like that, like, you know, write an emotional 1000 word journal entry from a, you know, woman who is struggling to lose weight. She feels hopeless and frustrated. Be creative, right? That's like, you put that prompt in, you get this like thousand word journal entry. That's got all this emotional stuff. It's really very accurate. And you can do this for everything. We did today for a, a woman on my call who's in the, the knitting and crocheting uh, niche. And it was like, all this stuff about how, you know, their family doesn't appreciate their crafts and like all this stuff. And she's like, oh my God, this is like spot on. So it's scary, but it's great because it actually makes the process way faster, right? So that's research. I can pause. I don't want to fire host people, but um, yeah. Any questions on research before I go on to mechanism, which is M? No, I think that was great. Okay, cool. So yeah, M is for mechanism. So kind of like the unique mechanism of the problem and solution. So like, the thought process being here, by the time a prospective customer comes to us and discovers our brand or our product or whatever it is, you know, it's very unusual that they haven't tried to solve their problem before or their pain point before. Normally, they've tried many times. So, for example, using diet, here we are in the new year. It's very rare that somebody finds your weight loss support supplement or your diet plan or whatever. And it's like, well, I've never tried to lose weight before, but I'm going to give it a shot, right? Realistically, they've tried a million things before and none of those things have have worked. Um, And so the mechanism is sort of like showing them, well, here's the real reason why you're still dealing with this problem or pain point. So for weight loss, it might be that there's a discovery of like a, a new hormone in the body or a new physiological process that, you know, this hormone 
helps your metabolism to, to be faster and, and shed weight. But as we get older, the hormone levels naturally go down. It turns out that one of the ingredients in your product helps to support, you know, that hormone, which means it can support your metabolism. So basically the idea being like, like, Hey, you know, you may have tried all these diets before, but none of them were designed to activate this hormone. But like this diet is because we give you foods that are scientifically shown to support the activation of this hormone, or this supplement has these ingredients, which have been shown in clinical studies to support the activation of this hormone. Um, and you know, and as you now know, when the hormone goes down, your metabolism slows down. So that's why, uh, you know, you should buy this product. So it seems like simple, but it's important. And people go like, well, but I'm selling a commodity. So from a supplement perspective, let's say there's like turmeric is a commodity at this point. I just wrote something for turmeric that's doing really well, crushing it. Um, but what we looked at was the encapsulation process because turmeric is not very bioavailable. It's not absorbed in the body. People will know that. And this product had micel, M-I-C-E-L. L E and once there's two L's in there encapsulation that essentially there's all this like research behind it where it, it um, helps turmeric to be more soluble. So it gets absorbed in the body. So now it's not a commodity. Now it's like a technology, right? Like a fishing pole. You know, oh, I'm just selling like a fishing rod and it's like, okay, well, what are the materials it's made out of? Like, well, you know, it's made of titanium and aluminum or whatever. Okay. Are other fishing poles all made of titanium, titanium and aluminum? And it's like, well, actually they're made from the steel and what I mean, I don't know about, Fish, I'm not an expert on fishing poles. Point being, you're like, okay, well, like, is there any reason why these materials might be better? And it's like, well, no, but, you know, it is lighter than other fishing poles. And you're like, okay, why would light matter? But if you're doing research, then you see, like, people, oh, this is really common. I've looked into this, right? Like, um, a complaint, lots of older men are fishing, but they've got, like, sore joints and arms. So if they're holding a fishing pole all day or they're, like, casting and reeling, like, it can be wearing, there's wear and tear and it can hurt their, their joints and things and their shoulders. So, like, if your fishing pole is lighter, like maybe it like is easier to keep casting. You can fish longer and have less discomfort and pain. So suddenly you're like, oh, hey, like, um, you know, like this part, and, and, you know, it's kind of a unique differentiator and value proposition as well. But like the point is, if you ask those questions and start looking, uh, you'll, you'll find really ways to distinguish your product from, from the market. And, um, and that gives people an impetus to want to buy. Cause if they see why this is different, that's much easier. It's hard for someone to, to convince somebody to, 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 you know, insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So it's like, if you convince them that you're just going to, Hey, it's another diet pill. It's another fishing pole. It's like, who cares? Right. But if you're like, no, this is different. It's going to get you different, a different outcome. Then it's very easy for them to be convinced. So that's the mechanism part. Um, the brief is funny because I used to gloss over it. I will kind of still on, on this uh, recording here, but with AI, it's actually more important um, because again, with the prompts, you can fill all this stuff in really easily. So the brief is really just answering this series of questions. So when you go to write, a lot of your copy is already written for you. So sort of stuff like what's like the you know big promise that you're making, not about your product, but about the copy. Like, hey, if you read this, I'm going to show you blank. Like I'll show you a easy way to activate this fat burning hormone and you know, support healthy weight loss starting immediately. I'll show you an easy way to uh, you know be able to fish for hours longer with less joint discomfort, uh, even as you're can reel in bigger and bigger fish without worrying about the line snapping, whatever it is, right? So you're not you're not selling them the product, you're basically selling them on what they're gonna get in the ad. So when you go to like write your ad, then you can just put that right into it, right? So um, you know, questions like that, what's the background story, like like who created or discovered this product, you know, why? Usually going back to the hero's journey, somebody was in like 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 the air purifier thing from earlier was perfect, right? Like um, if that was a true story. 
Uh, and then what is the product? And writing out the actual copy about the product. So instead of being like, it's a fishing pole. And you're like, oh, it's the first of its kind, you know, fishing pole that uses titan- titan- titanium light technology that, you know, enables you to do this, this, and this. And the reason you do that is because when you get to see which is copy, which I have like a copy outline that's sort of step-by-step, just follow it. Like all this stuff's already written because you're sort of like, you already have the differentiator stuff of the mechanism. You already have the big promise you're making. You already have uh, stuff about what the market's experiencing and how this is different. Like, you know, you basically have all of your copy written. So that's like in a nutshell, RMBC and, and why it's valuable. Ooh, I feel like we just got a full mastermind in what, 10 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> very, very thorough and impressive. Thank you for sharing all of that. One other question that I always like to ask, I say it's because it's less work for me, but it's a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And it's kind of a mouthful, but I think it's a good one. How do you maintain a positive attitude or optimistic mindset when it feels like the walls are caving in and everything is falling apart? Yeah, it's funny because I think it's we can inside baseball and maybe hopefully this is okay, but you ask that question of people when you're when they're, you know, onboarding to be uh, interviewed by you for your podcast. So that's what I wrote. And I'm like, was I just in like a dark place at the time? <laughs> I'm like, why did I choose that? Um, but, you know, I, but there is value to it because a lot of people are in that situation, like, and, and often feel like the walls are caving in and they, they feel like it's difficult to go on. And resilience is so important. And also optimism. I think one of the hallmarks of an entrepreneur is generally overwhelmingly uh we're optimists and so we believe that each day will be better than the last and that's true regardless of whether the last day was terrible or the last day was amazing and that that's a really important kind of distinguisher because it's not just like it's easy when the last day was crappy to be like well maybe tomorrow will be better but even when the day was great we still believe the future is, is brighter and so part of it is just like that continuous optimistic mindset um of waking up each day and having faith. And then I think you look at the fact that if you generally, if you do the right things, like, like it, it's it, things take longer than you think they're, they're going to. There's the cliche about people uh, like overestimating what they can get done in a month and underestimating what they can get done in a year. But I've just seen this time and time again, including with my own businesses, even recently uh, where it's like if you have a good plan and you're and it's like a following sort of like a proven model and you're you're and you stick with it, you will tend to get results, right? If the process is right, the outcome tends to be consistent. And so if it's a good process, you tend to get a good outcome. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And then those moments where you have those dark nights of the soul or it feels like everything's falling apart you know, remembering that specifically, I think that like good processes lead to good outcomes is a really helpful and powerful thing that can kind of keep you in the game. Cause usually, and I know this is very common, but there's been so many times where it's like, I was so close to, you know, giving up and it really felt like the, you know, things were just in such a crappy place. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then like a month later they were in an amazing place. So it's tough, but like you have to have faith and optimism and and, and trust the process. Yeah. Around the new year, I read an article from the New York times that was a reader roundup of different resolutions, advice, that kind of thing. And there was one reader who said that anytime I have a rough day, I think my success rate for getting through bad days is a hundred percent. And I thought that was pretty good. I like that. It's a good reminder. All right, Stefan, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three 
This might be the most important conversation of all. Your top three sparkling waters. Yeah, so I drink a lot of sparkling water. And I didn't like it until a few years ago. And then I, I took a period where I had quit drinking alcohol um, just to sort of like detox. And I was like, oh, wow, water's boring and, and started drinking sparkling water. Uh, so I feel like I'm, I'm like snobby about this. Uh, so, you know, like real, like mainstream, 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 like we're going to go glass bottle Pellegrino is definitely number one. Um, plastic bottle Pellegrino is number two. And then canned Perrier is number three. Canned is better than bottle Perrier, I feel like. If we want to throw in a wild card that isn't available everywhere, but I'm here in Arizona where I live, there's a Sedona sparkling water is excellent. And just to make sure I trigger a few people, um, Topo Chico is way down here because it's way too carbonated. And um, like, I don't want to feel like I'm floating away like that, like that girl in Willy Wonka who has like the gum or whatever, like, you know, like a, it turns into a balloon. So um, Topo Chico is, is real. I'll drink it if there's nothing else, but I'm, I'm cranky about it. So there you go. There's, that's the factual answer about what the <laughs> three best uh, types of sparkling water are. Well, there you have it. The definitive list. Mark it down. Write it in pen. It's not getting changed. Love it. <laughs> well, Stefan, this was so much fun. If people want to learn more about you, sign up for a mastermind or check out any of the things that you're working on, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me you know, on Instagram at Stefan Georgi. And um, I know my name's hard to spell. S-T-E-F is in Frank, A-N. And then Georgi is G-E-O-R-G-I. Uh, and then if you want to get on my email list, which is like a I send almost daily email, lots of about AI right now. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm selling something, I'll sell it, but there's lots of times where I'll go like a month or two without selling anything. Uh, and I'm just providing value and, uh, you can go to SPG, my initials dot fun. Like I'm having fun forward slash research. Uh, so like I'm researching something, um, and you'll be able to put your email in and get the uh, first module of RMBC because I have a course on it. My whole research kind of module give you the 23 research questions uh, for that I that I ask and answer, uh, kind of like how to fill them out and all that. So for free, um, so spg.fun forward slash research. Fantastic stuff. Stefan, thank you once again for taking the time to chat. This was wonderful. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And of course, we have to end with a corny joke, as we always do. Two wind turbines are standing out in a field. One says, hey, do you like chocolate ice cream? The other says, I'm a big fan. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.